Welcome back to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host. This week on Friends, it's another exciting episode. I mean, we are on fire because the guests, they're like Oscar worthy. I'm going to say it. It's a golden episode. Welcome to the show, new friend, Christina Anthony. Christina, a multi-talented actress, writer, vocalist, and improviser, and is best known as an alum of Second City. Yes, Chi-Town is in the house, where she co-wrote three original sketch reviews and performed thousands of shows for Chicago audiences. Christina is also a series regular on ABC's Mixed Dish. One of Christina's favorite on-camera roles as an actress, and she's had so many, but her favorite as an actress includes Comedy Central's Key and Peel. And you can also watch Christina right now opposite Kristen Bell in the Netflix series, The Woman in the House Across the Street from The Girl in the Window, which I watched, no lie, in one day. It was that funny, and it's that entertaining. It is a must stream. Also want to welcome new friend Kenny Liu. Kenny Liu is the son of Chinese immigrants and grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. He is an actor who is becoming one of the leading Asian American performers in the industry. He is widely recognized as Gohan from the web series Dragon Ball Z, Light of Hope. Kenny has starred in Nat Geo's The Long Road Home, Roland Emmerich's Midway, and Yakuza Princess. He also was invited to appear in the popular Chinese series The Impossible. Kenny's breakout role is his lead in A Shot Through the Wall. It just had its theatrical release January 21st in North America and January 24th in the United Kingdom. Both Kinney and the film earned nominations for Best Actor and Best Narrative Feature at the Buford International Film Festival and the film premiered to rave reviews at the New York Asian American Film Festival, Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival, Bentonville, and The Whistler, to name a few. Ooh, I'm telling you. They have credits today. And welcome back, our friend like us, darling. Yes, we love you, Vaughn. Vaughn DiCarlo, New York-based stand-up comedian that has been featured on HBO's innovative talk show, Pause with Sam J, Laugh Mob Laugh Tracks on True TV. And she was the first woman and first comedian to host her own show on the SiriusXM NBA channel. She is the executive producer of the Patrice O'Neill documentary, Killing is Easy on Comedy Central, and her debut comedy album, a draggable offense is available on all major platforms and can be heard on the She's So Funny and Laugh Out Loud radio stations on Sirius XM. If you're in the area of Pennsylvania, I will be at the Still Stacks. That is February 12th in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And I will also be performing in Princeton, New Jersey on February 25th. Go to my website, mariafranklin.com. I want to thank all of our listeners or friends like us. Because of you, we make some pretty impressive lists. You can hear us on Google Podcasts Now, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. That's important. Subscribe. And make sure you turn on the auto-download function on the Friends Like Us for Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. You can email us at friendslikeuspodcast at gmail. Our Instagram is friendslikeuspodcast. And Twitter is friendslikeusten. Become more than a friend. Leave us a tip or a donation by going to our Patreon page. Go to Patreon backslash friendslikeus. Special shout out to our Patreon friends. It's because of you. We keep going. 
Merch is still available. We have t-shirts, hoodies, it's hoodie season, coffee mugs, face masks, and tank tops. All available. Just go to my website, marinafranklin.com. And weekly on my YouTube channel, I go live with my assistant, Evelyn Frick, and my wacky friend, Dave Juskow. To give updates to the show, we shout out fans who leave reviews, and we have surprise guests from the podcast stopping by. Sometimes... We even offer free stuff like tickets to comedy shows. And with friends like us, it'll help you feel not so alone because more content is on the way. Tell a friend you know to check us out. Stay safe. Wash those dirty little hands. Wear a mask still. Um, The variant is still here. I don't care what they say about these mandates. Get vaccinated, booster up, and Black Lives Matter. I watched both of you. You're both exceptional. You inspire me. As far as like, um, I've my listeners know they're probably like she really means it this time, because <laughs> <laughs> I say it every time I'm on the show. But I'm like, oh my god, I'm just so like as an actress myself and a comedian, I'm really, I'm like we're going in the right direction as far as like acting and diversity in Hollywood. We're going in the right direction. So I'm gonna start with so. Our listeners know we have on the show today, we have Kenny Lou and Christina Anthony. Okay. We're going to start with Kenny and then Christina. It's amazing to have both of you at the same time. So I'm going to try to give you both equal. Like if I could do one on with you an hour, I would, but here we go. So Kenny, who is the son of Chinese immigrants and grew up in San Francisco Bay area, where he graduated from UC Berkeley with an engineering degree after founding several startups in the Silicon Valley, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Which I I have to say, Christina has a very similar background, so she could probably relate to this. Uh Uh-huh. I worked at an unnamed startup as well. Was this in Silicon Valley or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's very famous. Yeah, it's not startup anymore. Yeah. Wow, this is crazy. (laughs) We're like twins. Yeah, Yeah, Marina matched us up on purpose. Yeah, I found the rhythm here. And you know what it is? I'm wondering if you have, like, you know, a lot of people think actors are just like, uh, they just, you know, they've got this acting skill. A lot of people don't, you've got to be smart to do this. Oh, yeah. Comedy is acting. This is a smart woman's game. And I, I also think you need to be a bit of a faker to work in Silicon Valley. But that, I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> true. True. Ken is re- widely recognized as, am I pronouncing this, Gohan from the web series Dragon Ball Z? Gohan. Gohan, sorry. Gohan from the web series Dra- Dragon Ball Z, Light of Hope, and Yakuza Princess, which your wife is in am i right yeah yeah she's the uh, star of that movie yes and okay you also did your own stunts am i correct yeah. now this is a question i have for you doing your own stunts because i actually you know i'm gonna get to your role in a shot through the wall which i i watched last night amazing like i said before we started recording i'm at that age now where i fall asleep no matter how good it is and i did not fall asleep it was that it's really like it kept me in it the whole time. And I was bawling my eyes out. So there it is. I loved it. Performing your own stunts. And one of my comedian friends who was on the episode earlier, she asked this really great question about that. When you perform your own stunts, do you get an extra 
like contract separate from your acting contract? Because like that's like a a different job. Yeah, absolutely. It's it should be a different job, and um, a lot of times it's it's not because you know they're trying to like save money and. Sometimes, you know, especially if you're performing like stunts as an actor, they want to capture as much as of the actor performing those stunts as possible. And so you just end up kind of doing it anyway. And you end up not getting that, you know, the stunt pay. Um, Even getting the credit for it is sometimes difficult. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of like ways that productions have kind of cut corners, especially if they're smaller productions. Even if they're television shows, you know, things are moving so quickly you don't get much of a chance to be like, hey, I should get paid for this before we like, you know, but also makes you look better, too, because it's clearly you doing those things and not like cut to, you know, some body double that is doing that performance. Right. Did you study like like what did you have like us? I know, like in theater, when I did theater at University of Illinois, I did stage combat, but that wasn't like <laughs> I can't like jump off a building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anything crazy like that, I'm like terrified of doing. But then I've got a I've got a long history of of martial arts training, and so then I felt I personally felt safe and qualified. If I didn't feel absolutely safe doing something, then I wouldn't do it. Because for me, it's not so much about even getting that stunt credit. It's just whatever enhances the performance the most. And so then my boundary about that is, you know, if I don't feel safe doing it at all, if I'm not trained for it, I'm gonna have a stunt person do it. Um, and, I, and I know a lot of actors these days want to say that, you know, they do all their own stunts, even if sometimes it's not true. But for me, I don't really care about that, getting the credit for it. OK, nice. And so you made a switch from Silicon Valley to acting or was it always like. In the back, like like for me, like going into stand up, you know, I started with the career and really, you know, like. I know Christina's from Chicago, too. Hey. Hey. So now what part of Chicago? Just real fast. Well, I I spent 15 plus years there, but mostly in Hyde Park. And then later in, I don't even know what it's called now, but near Bucktown, I guess is what it's called now. Oh, yeah. It was yeah, in Bucktown when it. I was there. Yeah, they change it every now or and then. It's very now. nice now. <laughs> it's called the near west side. Yeah, it's like uh, Logan Square. Uh, Logan Square area changed. Humble Park is no longer Humble Park. It's kind of crazy. But um, I started off like you know in Chicago acting, and then I kind of found my voice more in comedy. Like, did you always have in the back of your mind? And this really goes to both of you since you both started in a tech. You know, did you have in the back of your mind like acting was there? Or how did it? You know, Kenny, if you could answer that, like, um, you know, yeah, I, I guess it sort of was, it was, I mean, I, I have a degree in mechanical engineering and so then, but my belief at the time was kind of like, oh, this is what my life should be. You know, um, I didn't see very many Asian faces in the media. And so then you kind of didn't even realize that I was painting this, uh, box around myself that I can only do this. Um, engineering life. And so um, what I ended up doing was exploring it a little bit while I was working full time as an engineer. Um, I started auditioning for things on Craigslist. (laughs) And and then from there, it just kept kept on going. You know, Um, 
Yeah. So, so that's basically how it happened for me. It really wasn't meant to be. And so I feel so lucky to even be able to perform and call myself an actor and have films like a shot to the wall under my, you know, under my name. Yeah. And I mean, and watching it, you would never know. I mean, like I'm saying, like a lot of people just think you just wake up an actor, you know, it's really (laughs) like life. And the same thing for you, Christina, like, was it that that question of was it in the back of your mind? This is what I want to do. Or did it just like all of a sudden you're like, I can't do this job anymore. And oh, no, always, always in my mind. You know, I believe I was a born entertainer. But, you know, I think there's like just natural born obstacles. And then just also the timing of your life. You know, I spent I think I went when I started working in tech, I it was just like a stepping stone because I just knew I was going to be on television quite quickly when I made the jump from Chicago to Los Angeles. So it was I kind of really the job fell in my lap. I met with this guy online. I was kind of searching online and I mean, it's okay to say what it is. I never have said what it is. So this would be like an exclusive for you, Marina. So I was looking at this website and it was like, do you want to live in an igloo for $10? And I was like, yes, I do. I just moved to LA, but yeah, I'll go stay in this igloo. And I clicked the link and it was like, we're air bed and breakfast where you can spend the night in other people's houses for your vacation and it's cheaper than a hotel. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I kind of searched around and it says, you've been on here a while. Would you like to work here? And I clicked the link and it took me to a live HR person who interviewed me right there. And I get, I've been in LA for months. I'm, I need a job at this point because I have not booked the television show. And yeah, I was like, sure. And she was like, great. You can meet with um, the CEO. His name's Brian Chesky. And so I remember I was at a stand-up show and I went back in the green room to do my job interview with him. <laughs> and he was like, what is all that going on in the background? I was like, I'm at a stand-up show. I also am a comedian. And he's like, that's really great. Yeah. So we have this like new idea. And I have to say, at first I was like, this sounds like a bad idea to let people stay in your house that you don't know from the internet. And then he was like, hey, I mean, people go on dates with people they don't know. And I was like, I am sold. So, yeah, I joined it. I was like in the first 100 employees. Like no one had ever heard of it. This is like 2010. Whoa. And this is what, Uber? Just kidding. Airbnb is what it Airbnb. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And yes, yeah, so I went on to do that and like started moving up in the company and I was terrified. And yeah, I worked in customer service, but really at that time it was learning. It was such a new thing. It was really like being an evangelist for the product and then also learning like how it actually worked. So you learned like user experience and product and like just also watching a startup blow up. Um, yeah. And so I did it from my house, but I had to go there once every three months, once a quarter to San Francisco. And so, yeah, that was that was the the start of my career there. And it took 10 years before I actually booked something. I was there almost a decade. And 
And working at the startup of Airbnb. Yeah. Wow. So I go to auditions at lunch, you know, and I'd say, can somebody cover for me? And they're like, yeah, because you're you're about to have your big break. You, you're going to be a TV show. Sure, Christina. Hold for one sure. second. Ma- Vaughn, can you mute yourself just for a second? I think it's still and you're so close to your camera. I don't know if you're aware of. I just don't want it to echo. Let's see. Let's see. Maybe just give it a second and also maybe pull back. <laughs> you know what, Marina? Now we just see your lips fun. Just so I don't know if you know that, but you got great lips. I'm just saying, just so you know. I'm, Can you I'm see that? a mile away from the phone now. I'm sorry I have what? black girl I, magic. I, this, <laughs> okay. is, this is this is the show. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's absolutely the this show. This is when it gets real. Well, well, well scoot scoot your phone so a little so you, we can see your eyes. Just a little bit, Vaughn. I, I don't know what y'all are looking at. I, I'm a screenshot. Scoot down. Scoot, you. scoot, scoot, scoot. No, no, don't screen down. Just just scoot down a little bit. <laughs> this is the show. By the way, this is my show. I just this sent you a screenshot. I, I just this sent you a screenshot. So you can see how far away I am. I don't care about the screenshot. I don't. Oh, I don't spill my water. You look good. You look fine. Whatever. We hear you. We can see your okay. eyes now. That's so, important. Yeah. Yeah. Before yeah, it was yeah. just a mask shot where we could only see what the mask hides. Anyway, what we were talking about, which is really amazing, is that Christina was at the onset of what is Airbnb. <laughs> I cannot believe that because of the way that company's direction took off in the way that I didn't know that there was someone black that even worked there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, at one time there was I think the head of HR was black. And her name was Jabu Dayton. And I met her. And I think I had two or three black coworkers and we all met up. And this is like hundreds of people. It's still not what it should be. Right. But uh, yeah, it, it, the company is is growing. I left in 2019 because I finally did book a TV show. But that even then still, I it took me a while. I worked. I was on the TV show and also still working for Airbnb. And Kenya Barris, who was my who was the creator of the show, Mixed Dish, he he was like, you're going to have to quit this job. Like, you can't be on a TV show and work your customer service job 40 hours a week. It's going to start to be a conflict. And I said, well, I'll do I'll believe it when I see it, because I know people cancel shows. Shows don't make it on the air. People are fickle. And so, yeah, I took a photo. I think we had a photo shoot one day. And I just asked, how long is this going to take? And you could hear a pin drop in the room. People were like, I know she did not just ask Kenya Barris and Tracy Ellis Ross, how long is this photo shoot going to take? And he asked me, what's going on? Like very sincerely. And I said, I have to go back to work. And he was like, oh, yeah. And I said, yeah, I still have my job at Airbnb. (laughs) And then next week I'm going to quit. And I did. I quit after that. But he was like, he, he really encouraged me to finally quit my job. But I'm as, glad. But as an actor, and you know, as a comedian, as a performer, like those day jobs, those hustle jobs, they get you through to the next booking. So I wasn't so quick to let it go. Absolutely. And I think that's the big misconception with people. They're like, they think we just pack up and move. But the only way you're going to make it is if you mitigate those risks. And so then you really had to ease into it. You had to have your job. You know? Yeah. And for me, I come from a family where... Um, you know, they weren't asking me for money. 
and they weren't sending me money. I mean, they definitely helped me, but one of the best things I could do for myself and for my family to help them was to not be asking for money and the rent every month. And so having that job, even though it took 40 to 50 hours a week and it made it so, yeah, sometimes I would be able to like do stand up gigs or do sketch shows. But if you were like, hey, girl, like something like this, I probably could not do your podcast. I'm like, girl, I have to work. Can you do this on my lunch break? Like I can't even like network with you or, you know, promote myself. And so I think that's the reality, too, for a lot of working actors is. You want to be a working artist. You also, there's some work that has to be done in real life for some of us. We don't come from, you know, lifestyles where someone's kind of footing the bill for us. And then once you add, you know, a partner or a family or other people you need to help take care of, sometimes it does become a, is this a hobby or is this your job? Because what you going to do? Yeah, I I hear you. I'm so glad you spoke to that because I, I, I often the reason I started this podcast is for people to really get a sense of, you know, drive and how to get, you know, inspire, especially during this time where everyone's kind of finding their purpose. And I remember that, too, like as a comedian, like having to make the decision to be a full time comedian and having a job. I mean, that's a tough, tough moment that you're in. I mean, I was laid off, so I didn't have a choice at the time. (laughs) The decision was made for you. It was made for me. I remember them saying, Marina, we love you, but we got to let you go. It was September 11th. And a lot of people were getting laid off at the time in New York City. Companies were cutting back. But I do remember like the fear. That's is a very scary moment, you know. But then when you do focus in on your career, the things that happen. Wow. When you take that chance. I mean, I don't know for the rest of you, but. That push to like to quit it. I will say, let me go back once mixed dish. So that show was canceled after two years. I panicked and I was scared. I was like, oh, no, what's going to happen? And then like the next week, I started the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. And so, yeah, if you take the chance, you know, slowly but surely, it, it things have fallen into place where they say leap and the net will appear. But that first leap is is very, very scary. And again, it's real. Like nobody was happier that I started booking stuff than my landlord. Like he was like, your checks are not good. (laughs) They be bouncing. The dates are wrong. You, it's been 10 years. Thank God. Yeah. But it's, it's real. Yeah. It's a real moment. And, and Kenny, cause you have a startup company as well. It's an education tool. Am I right? Yeah, I'm, I, I keep saying, am I right? Because I never know if I am. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things. It's like my ums. I go, am I right? <laughs> um, so then, yeah, well, uh, there's there are two of them. There is one that I did before I moved to Los Angeles. And uh, that one ended up getting bought up by Google. And so it allowed me to transition fully into acting and pursue it full time um, nice. because I was very behind, you know, like everybody in Los Angeles is like such a professional and maybe have been born into families that are performers. I, I wasn't, um, you know, I just come from like a very traditional, like Chinese immigrant family. So I knew I had a lot of catching up on. So then I kind of just completely fully committed myself to like going to acting classes. Cause I didn't really have any of those before. Uh, and then there's the education app that I was doing a little bit on the side when I first moved here. Yeah. So there's a couple of them. Yeah. 
Just nice. doing whatever it takes, you know, to, to make it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My brother works for Google, too, by the way. So I'm going to oh. ask him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My brother, John. Look at me. I'm like always making it about me. I got someone smart in my family. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like a lot of people can work at these places. It sounds like it's, you know, this thing, but it's it's honestly, it's really not. You go there and you're like, they're like everybody else. Honestly, Vaughn just finished doing a shoot this weekend. Right. So, I mean, for you, how does it feel listening? I don't know if you've seen both of them. They are incredible actors. I don't know. Are you familiar with their work? Um, oh, go ahead and put me right on the spot. I'm not that good with Google. <laughs> <laughs> but you're following Christina. I saw you following her on Instagram. I was like, uh-oh. Uh, okay. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Being put on the spot number two. <laughs> yeah, Marina just like making stuff real uh, awkward. <laughs> Probably because she's a comedian and I'm familiar, familiar with some of her stuff. But I'm um, sorry, Kenny, I'm, I'm not as familiar with you, but that doesn't mean no anything. Who I'm familiar with means absolutely nothing. Thanks, Marina. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was the actual question? But listening to their stories, was there a moment that you had to make a decision for yourself? Like, oh, I mean, this absolutely. is what I'm going to do or I've. I've always known what I moved to New York to do, but I've also had about 5 million day jobs trying, you know, taking that leap of faith, falling, leaping, falling. So it's just been a roller coaster ride. And, and it, some of the jobs that I've had over the many, many years have sustained me, like she said, through bookings. And, and sometimes it's a longer stretch than others. But, you know, I've never, um, how can I say, uh, well, I already said it. When I moved here, I had a particular dream. I just wasn't as focused and I didn't have much direction um, as far as my full time focus being stand up. I wanted to be like Whoopi Goldberg. You know, I was going to do comedy and TV and film and theater. Like I was all over the place when I first came to New York. And then as I narrowed my focus and and found my grace in stand up um, doors open in other areas from there. So I find myself on both sides of the fence in terms of, um, like Marina said, I just finished doing a movie um, and I'm not one of those stand-up comics that uh, will, will come to the set like, oh, I'm just trying acting. Like I've trained, I respect acting. You know, stand-up comics want actors to respect stand-up. <laughs> When they're trying, you know, because you hear that all the time. Oh, actors are trying stand up. How disrespectful. Well, how disrespectful is it for a stand up to try acting without taking it seriously? So I, I'm always trying to be or I always am very respectful of both sides of the coin. And being a stand up comic has freed me a lot in my understanding of acting for a comedic role. This was a, a, a role that involved a lot of my ad libs and, and they gave me a lot of freedom in, in improving and ad libbing. So I was able to put a lot of my comedy and personality into the role. Uh, so it was very comedy based as a rom-com, you know, so I, it would be a different focus if it was a dramatic role. But I would move into that space if I was to accept the role with a high level of respect for acting and take it seriously. Nice. Okay, now mute yourself. 
You know what? <laughs> that was good. Good. Good answer, fun. Oh, and the writer of the film that I just did is Felice Monteith. She's one of the writers, and she was on Blackish. I'm not sure if um if you're familiar with her because I know that Blackish makes this you know that whole world kind of intertwined. She was on Blackish too, Christina. Mm. I was. I got. Yeah, that's why the- I was saying to Christina if she's familiar with Felice. Great writer. Fun time with her on on set. The Blackish Time Machine. I actually, yeah, I got a chance to go back and appear on Blackish, even though it occurs a full thirty years before after my show did. But yeah, I the um, it's interesting during the pandemic. Just a side note: the Blackish Mixedish Grownish world. There was like a strict no fraternizing clause, and so the one time I did appear on Blackish, I got a whole new trailer. And knowing like the work it takes to do this, like it was crazy to me, but um, it was so lovely of them to make sure it was safe. But yeah, we had a no fraternizing. So each show was like very distinct and different. But before that, we used to fraternize and it was a lot of fun. It was one of the greatest experiences I ever had. Oh, man. So it's like and you're so great. I mean, you're so funny. Oh, by the way, uh, but I, I want to get to Kenny. I'm going to come back to you. And the what Vaughn really brought up is a really good point about comedy and acting. It's such a good book. But I do want to get to Kenny on this show that he's just movie. It's not show shot a shot through the wall. 2022, which I watched last night, which is. Um, so he plays a young Asian American cop. It's a true story, actually. Who was responsible for accidents? Inspired by. Okay, thank you. Because I know that it changes. Um, For accidentally shooting and killing an innocent black man through a wall, both Kenny and the film earned nominations for Best Actor and Best Narrative Feature at Buford International Film Festival. So let me ask you about that. Inspired by. How much? Because I am curious. Because this this did happen in New York. Mm -hmm. Something very similar. Yeah. I looked up the story. So it's not, they use different. See, I thought it was the same story. I wasn't sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But they were mirroring kind of. Right. Do they talk about that or do they distance themselves from the actual story? So that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. They, so then they took the incident um, in 2014. There was a rookie Chinese American cop named Peter Liang who accidentally shoots and kills an innocent black man. And in his case, he's like, he goes into a dark stairwell with his gun drawn. Um, Something like freaks him out. He discharges into a wall and then like it ricochets down a stairwell and hits a man in the heart, um, a floor underneath and the man dies. And um, that's the incident that kind of inspired, you know, this film. Um, In this case, my character accidentally shoots and kills somebody through a wall. And so that's like as far as the similarities go um, in our film, because we wanted to explore, you know, what what does justice mean? You know, what is um, how much accountability is um, good accountability? How much accountability is not enough accountability? And so then, you know, we throw some other things in there, too. Like my character has a half black fiance because, you know, he's being painted as a racist. And we're like, is he racist? Like. And what does it mean for justice in this modern time of, you know, the media gets itself involved in, you know, the the trial and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it really explores, like I was telling you before we started, 
there's a lot of people affected when these things happen on both sides. And I love the fact that it explores the victim's family and the, you know, um, the perpetrator or the, the cop's family, how they're affected, what, what goes in, um, you know, my main theme uh, or something that I think that is really happening, you both can join in on this conversation, something that's really happening right now is people are, are commenting a lot on people they don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I mean, the biggest issue I think is that people see this happen a lot. You know, an innocent black man gets shot by a police officer and in our minds, because we're reading it from the news, it kind of becomes a statistic and then you start to believe that it's just about the perpetrator and the victim. But then all the people that are in those people's lives are also being severely affected as well. And it's a human issue, not not just like, oh, another black person is killed. You know, so there's a, there's a lot going on. And and I think we need to have those conversations and start to understand it in a more empathetic way than just, oh, another statistic, because that's painting things in black and white. Yeah, and then I looked up the other story, the real story of not the movie, but the real story that's separate from the movie, making it clear, right? Um, and how he, and I, and I remember hearing the story in New York being, in, and I remember my feeling at the time was like, oh, he don't know black people. Like that was my first reaction, right? Um, and. And it's so funny what you find about yourself, how you'll jump to your own sort of like judgments on a person before really looking into the story. The movie made me actually want to go back to it. I mean, I'm not an investigator. I don't like delve into a lot of like even the George Floyd thing, I, you know, like the current trial. I I'm I'm looking at it now and I'm like, do I have the energy to look at all of this right, right. and be like an investigator on the case? I don't know if I have the psychological whatever to do it. Yeah. Who does? I mean, there's so much stuff that is going on, you know, and so it's it's difficult and you you want things to be better for a change. At the same time, there's so much stuff going on and it's like hard to keep updated with everything. Yes. Did you get any you know, um, pushback on the film? Did, were, were there some people like that were commenting, oh, this is an Asian story and they're not looking at the black story strong enough? Or Yeah, yeah. There's um, a lot of people that like had seen the trailer or like had just heard the logline of it. Their immediate judgment is, oh, sh should we sympathize for the cops? Oh, would anybody think of the poor police officers? And And I understand like the the outrage about that because I mean, people are dying and that's ultimately what is the most important. Um, but then what is also happening is that the police as a system kind of does this thing where it's like, Oh, if something happens, it's because of that individual's problem. It's not because of us. There's nothing accountable that we need to um, fix in our system it's this individual's fault. And in that way, they actively avoid any kind of accountability for changing their system. And that is kind of the main issue that we were talking about. Both of them are, are things that need to be addressed if we want to move forward. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the thing that we, we were battling against is that people do have a lot of judgments um, in terms of like, you know, it's a sensitive subject. And so then people's 
people were, were saying things like um, basically people were had their own like viewpoints and and then they were like once they would see the film they would know that's not what it's about yeah 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 that's what I was thinking as I watched the film I was like anyone may not who thinks that they can't watch this film you're wrong you should watch the film it gives a full story it's a story you know on this like I'm, I'm going to pose this to all of us on here, actually, is like this is a difficult time with acting in general where people want to cancel, cancel, I guess not cancel culture, but people are very sensitive in just the telling of a story. Mm-hmm. You know, do you experience that, Christina? And, you know, oh, absolutely. I think this coming into the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window, I my major question was um, about playing the police. I, I, I knew the based on the material, they would be present. And I was like, who was going to do that? And they we're like, that's actually what we'd like to talk to you about. And I had concerns. I hadn't, you know, because it was a murder mystery, um, I wasn't privy to like see the script. They kept it really under wraps. So I can only see portions. But my main question was, I'd like to have a conversation with the director and the creators about what this means about the police being there. In the end, it didn't, to me, I felt fine doing it because it, 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 it is a dark comedy and it's less about um, the police officer, the detective that I play, she is unqualified and probably a little inept, but it is She's not so fun. It's so funny. By the way, I, yeah. I watched, I, ripped through this like nothing else like i finished it literally in one i think one day they did it on purpose that way yeah it cuts off right so that you'll want to click to the next one it's a little netflix trick i learned from working there but yeah i think yeah and taking like in certain roles yeah you're like oh is this gonna be how are people gonna feel about this and i said i wasn't gonna talk about this today but i am gonna talk about it I was also scared before the woman in the house came out because people had such a strong reaction to mixed dish. And I, you know, I, I want, you want people to love your work. And then there's also a world where you're like, I can't care what people think. And I can't, as long as I enjoy doing it, it's fine. Um, what's my personal experience working on it. And on both projects, I loved doing both of them. I think they were both very, uh, risky. I think they're both very brave stories to tell. And I enjoyed the role that I was playing, which in my work, I tried to bring that very matter of fact, common sense, black woman, you know, that's like, what are y'all doing? And I, you know, really tried to bring that to my work as Denise and Mixedish. And as this police officer, as this detective, I definitely, one of the conversations we had before I accepted the role was, whoo, this is classic white woman, isn't it? Just calling the police drunk, talking about you saw a murder. And I like bit my tongue as soon as I said it. Cause I'm like, oh no, are they going to be mad that I said that? And they were like, yeah, this is exactly what it is. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm in. As long as y'all know that this is nuts and we're not thinking she's a victim. She's nuts for this. Um, yeah. And we talked about like some of like the privilege of being able to do this. Like, yeah. And it was, it was great. And even down to like, even things like my hair, you know, for this particular project, I wore, I think I wore a wig that has, it's like a straight, like Halle Berry, Angela Bassett type wig. 
And, you know, there was like, should I wear an Afro? What will people say if I don't wear braids? And I don't know about you, but, and they were, Netflix was very open. They were like, if you want to wear braids to your knees, we love this idea. We love your braids, Christina. And I really pushed back. I was like, if someone, if I thought people were getting murdered up and down my street, I would be very nervous at the police that came in booty length braids. I, I just wouldn't <laughs> trust her. Oh I know God. that it looks good for you guys yes. to right. be like, look at Netflix. We got a police officer with braids. But I was like, Ooh, I don't know, y'all. I think she's she's just the only little black lady in this. I think we were in Santa Barbara. I don't even know where we were. But I was like, this little rainy town. She don't have nobody to do her hair. Where's she getting micro braids from? I noticed the wig right away. It's funny that you brought that up because the the wig was a good choice, actually. It says a lot about the character. She's a little dark and lovely, you know, just a little relaxer. She puts in a lot, you know, maybe when her sister comes to town, she touches it up for her, but she's not doing all that, you know? And so, but I was scared. That was a mate. It was my lawyer got involved in the negotiation. I was scared. I was like, should I wear an Afro? I don't want black people, black Twitter to be like, oh, they got sister in a wig. She should have worn her curls. When in reality, the police, she was not there to do that, you know, and I also didn't want to be distracting to the story. I felt like in this way, I wanted her to be someone I recognized. And I do recognize that sister, you know, late 30s, early 40s with the nice, just relaxed kind of Jew, new to town, don't know a lot of people. Don't blow up my spot, ma'am. What what are you talking about? A murder. She can't be going to get her hair done. And and also it was raining when we were shooting. Not real rain, but fake rain. Oh, yeah. And come right. on, you know a black woman's afro. I'm like, if y'all want continuity and don't want to be criticized <laughs> for the size of the afro going up and down per scene, <laughs> you better go ahead and let this sister wear a wig. So I pushed hard for the wig and I really felt empowered by it. And it left, it freed me up to kind of just do the other work, which is figure out how to play this very subtle comedic tone on a very serious topic. Yeah. I'm glad you fought for that. Cause I mean, there's, there's a big issue with representation for the sake of representation and it makes absolutely no sense. And I'm glad that you were there to be like, look, I'm a black woman. This is my experience. It makes no fucking sense for me to wear curls. <laughs> yes. It, 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 in the, you know, I was like, should I wear Senegalese twists? I love Senegalese twists. And they, <laughs> yeah. every time a different, if, if you look at my Instagram profile, particularly, you know, I am a woman of many looks and I'm a character actress. So I enjoy wearing different looks. Um, yeah. And they were loving those looks. They were like, oh, we love these braids. Look at these two that go to like your waist. No, you can't seriously question some. Are you always like, I would eventually be sitting on my braids how do you question someone seriously? <laughs> However, it would have fit into the comedy of the show in some ways, like because the comedy, I didn't know it was going to be like when I started to realize it was a comedy, dark comedy. I was like, oh, shit. And it was making me laugh so hard, like some of the moments that I was like, I love the way the comedy slips in this, you know, serious. It's not like it's not hitting you over the head and it and the way you deliver specifically, by the way, was brilliant. Oh, thanks. the first time I, I it, the reason I didn't put an article about the show in is because it's 
people are watching it. And I don't want to give spoilers away. Yeah, yeah. You have to. It's yeah. I don't want to. It's spoil a spoiler. It it's it's a Watch spoiler it. riddled movie uh, series. So it's hard to talk about without like people going, oh, my God, she's telling me. But I think that it is just you have this one line. And this is how I can do it without even. Oh, I know what you're talking about. The line where I tell her, like, how we actually might know each other. It's the it's the one where you tell her about her daughter. Yes. Yes. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. It, and it's so funny. I will it's say dark. this to your listeners like, oh. and for our group, you know, get some wine. Give yourself. It's just three hours. You can watch the whole season in three hours. And people have told me they're like, you can't. I'm not going to watch a season of television. This you can watch this because each time you will be like, this is crazy. What? I need to see the next one. Let me just see one more. You can do it while you're folding your clothes. But um, yeah, that line where I kind of, you know, each person has like a secret on the show and each person could be the killer. It's kind of that basic murder mystery trope. But yeah, the detective actually tells Anna, we might know each other. I want to tell you how we might already be connected and it's just ridiculous it's the whole thing is ridiculous and i they get my humor and i really get their humor the creators uh rachel ramras uh larry dorth and hugh oh my god i can't think of Hugh's last name right now but um they they're groundlings which is a very famous sketch and improv right company in uh here in la and i came out of the second city in chicago and we just got each other's humor. So when this came to me, I'm like, it's so different than what I was doing in Mixed Dish, which was basically being like Phyllis Hyman from the 80s. But I really was excited to do it. And I was also excited, too. I, I, when I looked around, I'm like, oh, there's not a lot of Black people in this town. And yes. I, I'm like, there's stakes here for this woman. She needs to get this job right. She needs to catch this killer. She needs to do a great job and you have to watch it to find out if she catches them. You know what I really liked about it, too? She was also very like I recognize her character. I I know this black woman and she's not just one type of of black woman, female cop. Like you were saying, there's so many there were so many layers that you brought to it that I really appreciate it. And, And she was vulnerable. She had a beat that's very vulnerable that I'm always like fighting for. And I'm always saying like they can make us the a black woman that's sort of, you know, taking care of or or being strong in the situation. But to have some vulnerability to it makes her human. So that's why the comedy comes across for me. Oh, thank you. That's what I really enjoyed about. it. Yeah. So Vaughn, have you? Oh, Vaughn, I don't want to put her on the spot. She hasn't watched it. You know what, Marina? <laughs> <laughs> Marina, <laughs> just just when I think I have a friend, <laughs> I have a, a person trying to stop me from getting friends. Listen, <laughs> Christina, I am going to binge this show today. And Kenny, yes. I'm going to find you and I'm going to follow you on Instagram. <laughs> oh, thank you, Vaughn. <laughs> well, no, the same thing with great. Kenny, though. Kenny is like really like, I mean, they're both like Kenny has some moment. It is something when you're an actor and you're watching something, you're like, can I do that? Like, Kenny, like you have these really moments where you're not saying anything. 
but a lot is coming across, which is a very difficult, you know, like I have a silly face. So I'm also thinking about like, you know, if, if let's pray to God, my show gets on air, right? Like, am I going to have a moment where I can actually not move my mouth when I'm, when they're filming me? <laughs> I have this tension that's going, you know what I mean? I know I what you're talking about. Going, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I definitely I had, I do that. yeah, I definitely had moments. I definitely was laughing between takes, like to the point where I was crying and they were trying to pad my face dry because I, I was cracking up. But I also had a moment, and I think maybe, Vaughn, you've had this moment too since you, you're a stand-up, where I felt like I'm not doing my thing. Is this funny? Because this ain't this is not my thing. And there were moments during the shooting where I was like, is this funny? Because I'm used to, like, killing. Even on like when we were shooting Mixed Dish, we would laugh in between takes, and we would laugh during takes. It was mayhem. We were playing R&B and, like, just having fun. This was so serious and we were in the dark a lot. And I just remember sometimes being like, but this, this isn't what I do. Is this really funny? And I just, it kept coming back to me. A friend of mine would always tell me, play your position, Christina, just play your position. And my position isn't necessarily like dunking the ball. It was passing the ball. And in the end, the whole thing was funny. But as a comedian, that part of me, the actor in me was fine, but the co- comedian in me was like, ooh, that I'm not killing. Am I killing? <laughs> That's where the uh, training comes in, I think. On, on the movie that I was just doing, it's called Switch Up. I absolutely can relate to that. It, it got to a point because they were giving me so much freedom with my ad-libs that if when the director said cut, if the room didn't explode in laughter, I would feel devastated. Like, I was like... Uh, but most of the takes were going that way. And I was like, okay, okay. And it did feel like, okay, this is stand up Vaughn really needing some stage time right now. <laughs> and, but actor Vaughn is like watching these amazing actors because it's a rom-com. So there's some sad moments. My character is the comedy relief of it. So I'm surrounded by some very serious moments where I had to, play it in the middle and tone down the funny and find those human moments where to Marina's point, what I did was realize, Hey, I am laugh, you know, making people laugh in the film as a character. That's what the character does, but the character is also human. So in the more serious moments, even though my character might have more of a, a goofy wave goodbye if I'm saying goodbye to someone and the character is supposed to be sad, you find that human moment. And I was finding those spaces and I was like, okay, go ahead, actress. <laughs> but, but surrounded. Yes. It's being surrounded by actors who literally were crying real tears on cue on action. You know, my goofy face is like, Oh my God, this, they are so <laughs> good. So you do feel those insecure moments like, wait a minute. But then I'm like, well, I train somewhat. You know, I know, like I said, I'm very respectful of the process of acting. I'm not going into it blind. I read the whole script. I know why my character is saying everything that she's saying to every character. I know why this person is crying. Like I study the whole script. You know what I mean? So I could find those human moments. And I think um, what you did with the hair choice, 
while I was listening, I was like, she found the humanity in the character. And, and that's so great of you and so professional of you to go, let me set aside my personal uh, choices of these braids to the knees that are so cute on me and my twists are cute. But would the character live her life in this human moment? Would she do that and you decided no and and it was probably the best choice for the character because you had a lot of solid reasons of the yeses and the no's a lot of people would go into those situations like well i need to look good on camera i'm gonna do what i need to do for me and not find the humanity in the character and i think that's that's where a lot of you know the the character work goes downhill which could take the whole project downhill i mean let's also i appreciate that thank you for that it's half the it's half the battle is how you look like when i'm doing stand-up or like doing an improv show i'm not concerned about that at all probably to my detriment right i'm showing up like anything but i think some of these things it is it is half the battle is to look like the person you claim to be showing us. And who am I to say that every time you investigate a crime, you must take time to put on fake eyelashes. Like, uh, like <laughs> I don't trust the police that do this. Yeah. Why are you doing this? And it's hard because my vanity, I, yes, you're right. I, I'm going to do the same thing. I also, a question for everyone, I guess you brought up something great, Vaughn, which is, about like going through the script and your training. I, so Marina, I also went to the U of I in Champaign, oh, Urbana. Sure. And I, but I did not major in theater. And I always felt some type of way about this. I went to study, went on to study at the Second City, which gave me a lot of comedy training. But I piecemealed together my education as an actor after that, you know, like workshops and classes, and then just being in other stuff with other people. Same and here. watching them and here, yeah. it is such also it is an intense experience sometimes when I am on set watching people and I'm just like where did you learn that this is amazing and people and I've been on projects with people where they showed me like things that they do and I'm like oh my gosh this is amazing and I'm so appreciative of it but I just wonder if any of you like have a similar experience of feeling like sometimes I do feel if I'm being honest, I feel less than sometimes about not having the specific like BA, MFA, you know, you like, I watch these like serious black actresses come out of Juilliard and Harvard and they're like doing these plays and they're like slaves and looking off into the distance and beating clothes against a rock. And then here I come and I'm like, where are we going tonight, y'all? I got a date with Ralph. And I'm like, Wait, what am I doing? Am I good? Because you guys are amazing. But can I yeah. can I answer that? Well, before you do, I, I do want to, before you do, just want to say what Kenny put kind of speaks to this. I love how you say don't ask other people for advice, your, your experience. Can you, can you just speak to that real fast and then we'll go to Vaughn? Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I completely relate to what Christina was saying, you know, like, I don't know if it's because we're people of color or something, but then I'm always feeling like I'm the outside looking in. And so then there's a lot of catch up to do. I'm comparing myself to people that, you know, are the sons of like famous people and they've like been grandfathered into this whole industry. 
And then there's like the connections, there's the education. I, I lived a completely different life before acting. And so I constantly feel like I'm playing catch up. And so it's for me, it's exactly like you said, Christina, it's piecemeal, finding pieces here, finding pieces there. How the F are you like getting such great work? Like, how are you, you know, asking advice constantly? And so that's, that's how I got to my, my advice of which Marina was reading, which is, you know, I don't really take advice from anybody because ultimately I'm my own teacher. Nobody else really is going to understand my unique situation as a Chinese immigrant. Um, you know, like what, who, who can really give me the truest advice? I can just listen, but I can only teach myself ultimately. So that's my take. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay, Vaughn? Yeah, so very well said, Kenny. And I'll just add to that in saying, look, I have compared myself and beat myself up better than anybody else in this business ever could. <laughs> Whether it's stand-up, acting, I, I did UCB and Magnet Theater for improv and musical improv for years, uh, singing, all everything under the umbrella along my way, I have beat myself up about it, that I was never good enough. I'm never trained enough. And when I take a step back and look at everything that I've done along the way, you, you realize, you know, God's plan for you is different than everybody else's plan. He made you unique. That Your path is yours, especially as a creative. You can't compare yourself to anyone, although we will, but you have to remind yourself, if I am good enough, but insert Jesus, God is king. I can't, nothing is going to not be mine if it's mine. And I am the only one who can mess it up by comparing myself to other people, by thinking I'm not ready, by thinking I'm not good enough. If you do your due diligence and you do your work, then you step confidently into the light. And that's how I look at it at this point in my life. I'm, I'm done beating myself up. If I'm doing the work and I'm uh, uh, accepting the process of what I have chosen to do, then there is nobody on God's green earth that can stop his plan. So that's how I look at it. And as far as being around actors that are like, I've like it is intimidating. I'm not marginalizing that at all. However, they'll say the same thing to us. Like, oh my God, you do, you do stand up. How is that even possible? I could never, you know, so they feel intimidated by you too. Other people feel intimidated by you as what you do. They may not say it. They may not express it, but we are all our own worst enemies beating ourselves up. And while you're sitting there thinking you're not good enough, the person sitting across from you that you're looking at, like they're so amazing, is thinking the exact same thing about you. So I, at this point in my life, I am hopefully as done with that as I could possibly be because it doesn't, it, you're holding yourself back by making those comparisons and you're putting all this energy into what you could do to prepare for what, whatever point. it is that you're doing. Oh, I was going to say, I also think too, maybe we are, I hope to be an inspiration to people too, who feel they are in the same position because we all, I think, you know, what do they say? Everyone is born an artist, but by the time you come back to your practice and realize that you are an artist, some of us come back to it at later times in our lives. And so, yeah, I did not go to improv camp when I was seven years old in Chicago mm-hmm. from the suburbs of the second city. Right. I did not go to a summer training program in Europe 
but what I did find and when I found myself as an artist and came back to myself in the time that I did, you can also follow my lead and follow my example rather. And you can do it too. You can be like you said, Kenny, first generation, you know, in show business and make it there. It is truly possible. I, I would like to be a part of the Roberts family and be Julia Roberts niece or cousin <laughs> or Eric Roberts or Emma Roberts. But, you know, or, you know, and I came up with the Belushi's, you know, side by side with one of them going through training. But I think, yeah, we can do it. You can do it first generation. You can do it unconnected. You can do it with a day job. You can, you can be, you are an artist. Bottom line is, you what, to your point, you will find your way. And you found your way, I or I'm finding my way. I feel like I'm forever a student of all of these things. So I, I'm, I will always be finding a way. And to your point, Christina, you you give back to your findings. You know what I mean? Like uh, as far as acting, as an example, right? I I studied all kinds of different techniques, but nothing clicked in my head until I read this book, The Power of the Actor. It's the Chubbuck Mm. technique. It just, it cleared every question that I had about understanding acting and what I'm supposed to do cleared it all up. Now that was for me. So whenever I'm talking, having these type of conversations, I'm like, well, maybe someone's listening that, you know, is trying to figure it out. It took me forever to figure out something that if I just say, Hey, read this book, it might help someone jump 10 years ahead. So we're all just stumbling along and trying to find our way. And then we give back whatever information that we can. Right. Totally. Hey, Christina, I'm curious, like when you left your job, um, did people know that you were acting on the side too? Or was it like, was it sudden for them that you were like, hey, I'm going to quit uh, my very profitable job and become an actor? Was that like a surprise? Like, what was what was that experience like for you? Well, first of all, I don't know how profitable it was because I was, you know, I was in customer service, so I wasn't an engineer. My brother's an engineer, actually, at Microsoft. So I wasn't making big brother I wasn't making brother at Microsoft money, but um, I will say, yeah, I had health insurance. They covered all kinds of like great things. I was able to travel the world. I went overseas, you know, all kinds of places. But when I left, yeah, they were very much aware because I never stopped talking about it. You know, when people were like, what did you do this weekend? And they're like, I had a barbecue with my daughter. My son graduated from high school. And I'm like, you know what? I got 10 minutes. I did a tight 10. I, you, like, I, you were never going to hear about it. And when I would have people cover for me at lunch, I, you know, they're like, where are you going? I'm like headed to Sony because I got, oh, this is it. This is your big break. OK. And, you know, year one, year two, year three, it was fine. But by the time we got to year eight, it was like, oh, girl, please. We're. We know you are any moment now going to blow up. But I think the the really the the really big moment came for me when I once I decided like this is what I'm going to do and I was in Los Angeles and I knew I was here to do that anything that I was doing that wasn't acting yeah it was a stepping stone which is probably so annoying to people that you work with on your hustle job because it is not their hustle job, right? This could be their dream. So that's one thing I probably could have done better. And then the other thing that I, that 
looking back on it, there was a certain point, I would say three to five years, three years into working there, not knowing it was going to be eight. I asked to change my name on the customer service roster because I started helping people. Airbnb became more known and there were other, there were notable people starting to use the website. And I was scared. I remember one time, uh, John Oliver's team, they had booked something maybe for him or maybe for someone uh, on the team, a producer, and they had an issue and they were like, Oh, can you work with them? But I had just submitted to be a writer on John Oliver. And I was like, that's not going to look good. What if they recognize my name? Now, who am I to think that someone... Do you have a really unique name? No, my name is Christina Anthony. (laughs) 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 No, I'm just a regular name. Um, I'm no Marina Franklin. I'm no Von DeCarlo. (laughs) I I don't know why I thought this was going to be an issue, but my boss, her name was Emma, and she was really, she is, continues to this day to be very supportive. She was like, absolutely. Let's change your name. And so I changed my name to Judy. And if that didn't start another look at the, who does this woman think she is? And so it was in a meeting. She said, listen, now somebody calls and they need, they have an issue. You know, they have bed bugs at their apartment or they got there and the place is flooded and they call for Christina. Remember, we're calling her Judy now. And those calls are for Judy. And they're like, excuse me, why are we doing this? Eventually other people, now this is a well-known thing. It happens in customer service, but people have um, aliases that they work under. But I, the fact that I was like, people need to call me Judy because Christina Anthony is getting to, is going to be so big. I don't want, I don't want there to be any confusion. Um, I did not get the job working for John Oliver. (laughs) Oh no. Well, Miss Judy, uh, Miss Judy, can I say? Excuse me. Miss Judy, I love that it's Miss Judy, but Christina Anthony is a very unique name. You're the only Christina Anthony I know. So that was yeah. a good choice. And big ups to your boss for understanding. Uh-huh. Yeah. She, and she really, it, you, that's the other thing too. You need like, I do I wish I had like every single like comedy improv stand up person in my circle and they was all in my wedding and I stay at their house and they stay at mine. Sometimes the person in your circle is the least person you suspect. And Emma from Airbnb has had my back. She, as my mama said, that woman was a good boss. She has been so, and still very supportive. Like, but I remember one time I came to San Francisco and we had a meeting. It was like an all Airbnb meeting, thousands of people. And I was like, Emma, can I talk to you? And she says, what's going on? I'm like, girl, I got a call back for a show on NBC. I need to leave. She was like, we'll let them know you have a family emergency. And I left. I did not get that show. But Emma was supportive. I, Because I, I don't know which one is going to be the one, you know? Yeah. That is so important. I, I Man, I remember that same moment at, well, I was at Jekyll and Hyde. The theme restaurant. Okay. Okay. I don't know it. (laughs) I was wearing khaki pants and an explorer hat. And I just wanted to open for Tracy Morgan, not knowing I was going to bomb my ass off, but still. But I remember the boss going, Marina, I know this is your dream. It that those moments stand out to me. They really speak to like, these are the people who really like keep you moving forward. So I do want to switch to our hot topics. 
I mean, this has been such a great conversation. I, I could go like, it's just so effortless with both of you because you're both so talented and you're so open. So thank you again. I can't thank you enough for being here today. Thank you for the so safe I, space. I feel so yes. vulnerable. This is my acting training. Um, <laughs> To answer your question about my uh, theater sort of journey and how I pieced it together too, I did the same thing at University of Illinois because I was not allowed to major in theater. My dad wouldn't let me. Same. I did like theater of, they had, at the Cranert Performing Arts Center. Mm -hmm. Do you remember? Mm -hmm. They had like a theater 101 intro to acting. So I took that a couple of times. And then I took the theater of the black experience twice. Um, and, and one of the professors I ended up dating, but that's another story. And then um, I. <laughs> this is a big bomb. This is <laughs> Big eyeballs emoji. Eyeballs emoji. Eyeballs emoji. Wait. Look, I came in with the unmute. Go ahead and tell that story, Miss Marina. <laughs> no, it was like he was like a theater instructor. And then afterwards, I met him again in the summertime after I had graduated from U of I. And I was like, hey. And he was, you know, you find out they're not that many years apart from you. And you're like, oh, hey, you're cute. Let's do And he was really smart. He was very nerdy. Um he was more than nerdy. He actually he was a bit on the spectrum, which I didn't realize. Um, but I was always interested in weird nerdy types anyway. So that's why. Look, Vaughn is agreeing. She can't, you can't hear her, but she's agreeing. Oh, I love an odd dude. I love an odd dude. I, oh, he was so he knew all this stuff about theater in the black experience that was just like amazing to watch, you know. But it was nice to be able to take a class like that at U of I because yeah, there wasn't a lot of diversity at Cranert, from what I remember, mm -hmm. in the program at all. I had Felicia um, Mar Mary, who's, who is doing showrunner on the show that was on BET um, Plus, uh, the streaming, and she was there, and we both did a show at Cranert called Her. And I remember, like, the way they treated us, they didn't know, like, they expected, like, us they didn't have any cultural experience with working with black people at all. And I remember the um, costume person was yelling at us and treating us like, you don't know how to act in theater. You don't know how to act in the background. You be quiet backstage. It was a crazy experience. Um, but I took on those moments as much I could. I pieced it together. Like you were saying, I then went to my teacher at, University of Illinois, Christina Hunter, uh, for intro to acting. She said, Marina, I see that you love acting this much. Why don't you go to Syracuse? There is an artistic director. His name is Taswell Thompson, who is there. He's bringing a lot of actors from New York City to the um, uh, Syracuse stage. It's a great time to be there. He's the only black artistic director that I know of that's as big as he is. You should try it. You know, so I applied to NYU. I applied to Yale. I didn't get to into any of those programs, but I did get into Syracuse. I went did a three year program there. And I after three years, I realized, oh, OK, I just needed some confidence to do this. This They didn't really teach me anything more. Um, they really wow. I mean, to be completely honest, like they may have made me a little bit more intimidated and maybe self-conscious about what I didn't know. And I was trying to understand what the moment before really meant. Um, you know, I even taught theater, which I should not have been teaching theater. I smoked so much weed. I used to 
but it was like, you know, you got, they paid you, you know? So I, it was a way of paying for my studies. I used to wrap a scarf around my neck and act like I was like this theater teacher and be like, you know, I don't really know what your true intention is here. But Marina, that's I know acting. what the hell I was talking about. You were acting. You've unlocked oh, yeah, it. Like a She's even got the body posture for it. Like, yeah. Brooding theater director. <laughs> you, you developed character. Through clothing. Go, There's something telling me that you <laughs> did not do your homework on this. Role. Oh, no. I, I read, by the way, Kenny, I read that story about you with Will Smith. Can you tell us about that? Oh, yeah. Meeting him. Yeah. yeah. So one of because that I related to that so hard. With yeah. You. Well, I mean, it was like my first acting class in Los Angeles. And, you know, I, you know, I was an engineer and stuff before. So I was still like completely starstruck by the whole town. And I was taking this acting class and I became friends with somebody. His name is Namdi Asamuga, who's like, a, you guys probably, I don't know how familiar you are with him, but he's apparently like, you know, an incredible football player, but he now turned actor. I became friends with him not knowing who he was. Anyway, so he, um, he was doing uh, a scene from Shakespeare. And then one day we show up and Will Smith is sitting in our class, sitting right next to the teacher. And I... <laughs> I was I was gonna go after after him, but I knew that I was completely unprepared for my role. So I was like, "Oh shit, Will Smith is gonna see me bomb on stage today," and I was like panicking and I was like trying to watch my friend's like Shakespeare performance, and he was really great, you know. And then you know Will Smith sat there and watched him, and you know gave like you know some conversation to the class and like to our teacher and all, and he left right after that. So. And then I bombed on stage and it was great. So everything worked out. <laughs> but that was how I met Will Smith. <laughs> Did they do that thing where afterwards they tell you like, well, we didn't know what your choice was. <laughs> and we didn't know what your moment before was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you didn't seem like you were listening. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's Los Angeles acting class for you, right? Like, <laughs> That's how they always Where sound. would it be without it? <laughs> they would have had to ask me, what was the moment before you walked up to Will Smith and kissed him in the mouth? I'd have been like, well, <laughs> I thought he was Hancock. <laughs> I love Hancock. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. How did Will Smith come to be in your acting class? Can no, he was just yeah. visiting. He, he he came to see his friend's show or his friend's like nom his friend is Namdi like performance because he had just started getting his acting so he was just visiting and so then he was like sitting in that class watched that scene and he bounced and thankfully he didn't see mine you know but otherwise he would have been a huge fan I'm sure. <laughs> well, I'm a huge fan so and I'm uh, I'm. You. I'm kind of like a will. Um, I'm a huge fan so, too. Kenny, Kenny, I just followed you on Instagram. I'm a oh, huge fan you, too. See, I did it. I want to follow you back. <laughs> you got to watch the movie though, Vaughn. I'm telling you, you got to love it. I'm, it's I'm really... watching both of them today. I'm home today. Please let me know what you think. Please let me know because it's very sensitive and timely. Yeah, it is. It's, I'm going to ask you one more question, Ken, uh, Kenny, and then we're going to go into some of these articles from this question. What did you... You know, like we're talking about acting and drawing upon, you know, like experiences like I often like we were talking about having to cry on cue is a fear of mine. I know now I have I have I think, you know, I have something that I can draw upon where I can cry like that. I never did before. I was like, I have nothing like I'm all, I always feel like, oh, my God, there's nothing. What did you you have a very intense moment 
where you're nauseous and you're sick. What did you, can I ask that? Or is that a personal acting choice uh, thing? No, no, you can ask it. Cause it's, it is the scariest question, right? Like whenever people think about becoming an actor, they're like, can I cry on cue? And it's, it's very scary, especially when you've got like 200 people staring at you and you're expected to just kind of perform on the spot. Um, for me at the time I was, I was, we shot this like four years ago and it was a while ago. So I was still pretty green, but yeah, like, um, uh, I have a, I have a personal scenario where it, it could bring me to tears and it usually has something to do with my parents. So I got yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. So you did bring into something personal because some people, yeah. Cause in that scene you're by yourself. So it, the Meisner technique is not really gonna, right. I mean, I never really studied the Meisner. I studied method more, but the Meisner is not, you have to pull from someone in order to, right. so you're by yourself. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of it is, you know, kind of a substitution or a sort of imagination for, especially those types of scenes. That that scene took place in a bathroom and basically I, I had just killed somebody and, you know, I'm throwing up into this toilet. And then after that, I'm like severely emotionally distraught, you know, and we built that closet literally on a soundstage. And that was the only thing that was there. Nobody's outside. It was just the crew. And so I was literally acting by myself, um, this capsule. And, um, and so, yeah, I really had to, I really had to try to pull from something and I was trying a lot of different things. What you guys don't see is that there were a lot of takes before that where like nothing happened. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 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 Um, because you know, I was so green and, um, and so, yeah, I had to try a few things and finally settled on something. You know, I had to pull something from a personal experience and also imagine something really horrible happening. So that was it. So then a follow-up question to that is, do you... Because a lot of people walk away from these acting roles and it's like they sort of like... It's tough on them. Oh, yeah. Did you? How did you break away from that after... This is intense, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. the whole movie is like, really? Yeah, yeah. How did you then get some inner peace within yourself or not go kind of mad? Yeah, on, honestly, I'm not sure. I still think it's left over, um, honestly. Like, I, we shot that uh, over a span of like seven or eight weeks. And because of the emotional toll of it, I unintentionally left, like, lost 15 pounds because it was so stressful the director constantly had to say in between takes, like, Kenny, you just killed somebody. And, and, you know, I'm this very naturally cheerful guy and I, you know, want to interact with people and whatnot. And every take it was like, Kenny, you just killed somebody. And so, yeah. So then it, it, I think it really left something in me and I'm, and I'm still trying to piece that together, honestly. So I don't know. Uh, That's a really great question, Marina. Um, Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Can I can I speak on that? Because that's that's part of the the thing with acting is we know it's a process to get into these emotional moments, or at least if you're training of some sort, you you do know that not too many people speak on the process of getting out of that because our emotions, our minds, the, it, our, our inner selves don't necessarily know what's true and what's not true. And if you're pulling up these emotions, cause we all have them, Marina, you have them too. It, you, you, you're just finding the human moment in these characters. And if you just leave yourself there, you're no wonder. I'm not surprised that you lost weight. You have to process your way out of that. Um, there were actors that after, um, what was it? Game of Thrones. 
that that spoke about how they have to go through therapy just to process their way out of the the character's emotions, the character's experiences. Because you are literally, if you're doing your job as an actor, you are living those experiences. So yeah, definitely, um, I think there should be more maybe classes or just more discussions within acting classes that while there's a process to get into these moments, there is a process to get out of them to keep your mental health and your yourself safe. Yeah, great point. Yeah. Also speaking to that, um, the you talk about substitution. Uh, it's a, and I know if you're a fan of um, Vaughn, you talked about that the book that you enjoyed, The Power of the Actor. Substitution is a dangerous game, and especially I think. For people like us, maybe who haven't gone through a long-term training program, such as Marina at Syracuse. Uh, <laughs> but remember, I was smoking a lot of weed and I didn't listen. <laughs> Substitution is a dangerous game, though, right? And I, you know, for me, I, I, I use uh, remembering. And I remember very clearly one, a couple of occasions, but one particular occasion, we were doing a table read for Mixed Dish and... Um, my character was recalling a painful story and I took it upon myself as an actor for me, because I had come from theater as well. For me, performing the table read was the first step. And so I didn't do a cold read. I actually worked on the script and performed it. And by the time it was time for me to get to my monologue um, and tell the story, I broke down crying so hard in front of 80 people on the internet on the zoom table read because it's COVID that I believe Tracy Ellis Ross had to take over my <laughs> part because I was just too far gone. And you as an actor, and I think also comedians, I think as we yearn for those to show those more dramatic sides of us or to show those real human vulnerable sides of us, you have to be careful because when you dredge up these memories or if you use substitution or, you know, imagine scenarios, you are, like you said, Vaughn, you are doing damage to your mind and body and they are sustaining the trauma again. And they don't mm -hmm. know that they'll be getting paid for that later. <laughs> Right. They, yeah. they have no idea there's a party coming to wrap it all up like you. So you need to be really I find and I'm just saying this to myself. Christina has to be really careful when I go so deep and try to remember that time that my aunt told me to be pretty for special occasions. She sh you should have your hair pressed. And then when they tell me, can you remember that and do that for this episode? We're talking about black hair. And then realize, like, I do carry those memories with me. That was problematic, telling little Black girls their hair should be straightened for special occasions, for picture day, and then watching my aunt get married. And she always had her hair straight, but if she was going to a party, her hair was straight. Like, these things are staying with me. And now I work so hard to get away from that. And now you oh, want me to come yeah. back for this episode. Now I'm playing the aunt that was problematic, but it's still... Little Christina still is feeling it. And you have yes. to be careful. Right, right, yes. right. They say now that, I mean, this is something that I learned after the I've already performed that. Um, but uh, they say that, you know, it's much more 
uh, mentally healthy and emotionally healthy to use like imagination, like use created circumstances so that you're in your mind, somewhere in the back of your mind, you know, it's a game, but you created it and it's not dredging up your own personal experiences. So if I were to go back, that's what I would do. Um, but yeah, at the time I was so green that, and, and nothing, almost a lot of things weren't working. And then the, we really, really needed that performance. And so then I was like, okay, let's open up that black magic book. The one that, you know, is going to cost you a piece of your soul. And that's, that's kind of how I went. It's fast. It's fast. It's fast. I feel, I feel the pressure, right? They're like, we got to finish the day. People got to get home yeah, to their families. money. People yeah. are paying, they're paying for the time and, you know, they go action. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember one time I was doing something for Jermaine Fowler. I don't know if you, you know, he's a comedian actor and he wanted me to play his mother, which I was like, Motherfucker, I ain't that I'm much older than you. But still, I remember they wanted me to have this moment at the table where I screamed and it didn't. I was like, I, 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 my scream sounded so fake and fun. I was like, I can't, I don't know if I can draw upon this. And we didn't have the budget to really hang around that long and wait for me to get it. So I knew I was like, oh boy, oh boy, if they could just edit out the scream. I do want to go to this, these topics real fast because this conversation is so much more interesting than these topics, but they do relate to everything that we're talking about. Like specifically, I want to talk about schools starting um, mandate Asian American studies and more could follow suit. They're saying that we feel education is one of the most effective tools because we're coming from just yesterday. We're recording this the day after hundreds rallied in six United States cities to seek justice for Asian victims of violence amid alarming spike. These events were in San Francisco, New York, Atlanta, Philly, Chicago, and L.A., and they called for more attention to anti-Asian discrimination. So I think this is a great article because it's saying that they believe that it's the best way to combat anti-Asian racism is to mandate Asian American and Pacific Islander history being taught in schools. New Jersey is set to become the second state to mandate Asian American history in the public school curriculum after Illinois, Ohio, California, New York, Florida, and Connecticut. The California Ethnic Studies Model Curriculum claims to focus on dismantling the model minority myth, xenophobia, bigotry, and other forms of institutional privilege, stating that it presents a false narrative that Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders have overcome racism and prejudice. And students will understand how this label for AAPIs is becomes a hindrance to expanding democratic structures and support, and worse, how it creates a division among the AAPI community and places a wedge between them and other oppressed groups. So, um, Kenny, I hate to, I make you the spokesperson <laughs> for all Asian groups, uh, but, you know, can you speak to this? And did, did you did you take part yesterday or were you like me? And sometimes I'm like, oh, I should have gotten out in the streets, but I'll do my part and do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely in the latter camp. Um, but but yeah, it is it is something that I'm, you know, that I think is important, you know, because I'm Asian. I grew up in the West and you know, going to public school, you don't hear a lot about how we are American too. And the negative perception that has been hovering over our heads as a community has been that we're always the foreigner and we don't belong here. We don't belong a part of the political discourse for what social justice means. And we're just constantly being left out. And um, I think that 
gap needs to be bridged. And that's why, you know, these Asian stories are so important and why I do feel like Asian um, American studies are so important because it creates that understanding that I feel like is is necessary and it will help mitigate things like the Asian hate stuff that has been happening. Um, because when you don't understand somebody and a group of people, then that's when it becomes easy to dehumanize. And that's that's why I think all this stuff has been happening lately. Yeah. Have you experienced anything like this or like, cause I mean, I, I am seeing the news and it's like really like in New York city, the woman who was just pushed in front of the, I mean, it's just was yeah extremely shocking. And it's just like, you know, and I feel for anyone that is going through this and I feel for the, there's a woman from Chicago, I believe was talking about her. I believe it was her family member who went out and she never came back home. So. Right, right. Yeah, I personally have not, um, but I have friends that have been the on the receiving end of whether it's like physical violence or just over like racism towards them. And it's, it's spiked a lot in the past couple of years because of the coronavirus. Yeah, it's it's really it's it's really sad, you know, because a lot of the areas I used to like to go to, like in Chinatown for, you know, like the restaurants or something on the weekends, they would have signs out their door on their door that that says like, hey, I'm not a virus and please don't hurt my grandparents. Because what's been happening a lot is that they would uh, people would find old Asian people on the street and just push them as hard as they can. And I just feel like it's so it's so dehumanizing because it's like. How how can you hurt like the 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 women and the old people in like our community and not feel completely heartbroken about it, you know, like it's, it's, it's just really awful. Um, so I'm, so I hope that there's more understanding that is created so that we can stop things like this. I think your film also speaks to it in a, in a sense when, like I was telling you, there's a scene between you and your mother in the, in the movie that speaks to like the immigrant, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, dynamic, right? you know, what goes on culturally in the home that we don't see, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, that gives a humanness to, to who is behind these, these moments that become headlines. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think having an Asian American family at the center of all of that was really important because even though it's an Asian American family at the center of it, the, it's at a very American story. It's a very American problem. And, and that is, that I think directly addresses something that we're as a community has been battling against, which is that we don't belong here and that, you know, we're not involved in social justice and we're not being an oppressed group, but we are in this way. And I think that's, that film is important in, in showing that because you can, you can have crazy rich Asians, you can have Shang-Chi, but those are all like really glossy images. And that does, that's representation, but it's like a shallow image of it. It doesn't, have the honest and the gritty conversations of like, how do we fit in? How do we conflict with other communities here? Because to have space for yourself is to be in conflict with others. And those conversations need to be had. Otherwise, we're not really moving forward. We're just feeling like we are and saying that, oh, we got representation, but there's no understanding being created. So you're just making money, but there's no understanding being pushed forward. And so that's what I hope. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. I have felt that same. This is why I really liked the movie. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm glad that you guys are pushing forward too, because, and, and what Christina said, she was like, 
She was like, this is not what a black woman would wear, like, when she's a police officer in a small-ass town of Santa Barbara. Like, it just makes no sense, you know? And so then that's the type of stuff that I feel like is so important, you know? You can't have representation for representation's sake. It's just for anybody that understands, they would see that and they'd be like, this makes no freaking sense whatsoever. And we start to live in a cartoon world of what, you know, if we really want to reflect the real world, then it needs to be honest. It needs to be authentic. Did anyone see Jim Carrey lose his mind on late night? where He was like, oh, this is all created. So you guys don't understand what's really going on. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Late night television is so you don't so you. So you don't feel ABC's late night show with Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Kimmel's laughing. He goes, see your laugh. That's just fake. (laughs) It's all like government's plan. And he's crazy, but there's some truth to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, Um, so that's why I really I, I love the movie. You have to go out. You have to not go out, but you have. To, where can they see the movie? By the it's, way, it's uh, it's on video on demand everywhere. So Redbox, uh, Amazon Prime, um, iTunes, and then it's it's in a few select theaters in the United States and the UK. So make sure you check out a shot through the wall. Yes, make sure you check that out. Look, I wanted to make sure I get it right. Sometimes I'll I'll be like rolling, and then I'll be like, wait, what? <laughs> so and now. You know, this other conversation it is Black History Month. You know, we're we're well into it. We're asking people to not do certain things. February means it's Black History Month, which typically means an onslaught of virtue signaling, well-intentioned tributes gone awry, misidentification of black figures, hypocrisy, quotes from MLK, Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, perhaps Malcolm X. And to celebrate and honor Black History Month, check your hypocrisy and virtue signaling. For example, the FBI, which spied on King and his inner circle as the agency tried to discredit him and the civil rights movement, should choose their quotes more carefully than they have on MLK Day. Like, I guess they should say, we're responsible for him not being here. I don't know. They tweeted, today the FBI honors the life and work of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, and the time is always right to do what is right, which we're like, okay. And this is important. Corporations that regularly donate to Republicans who voted against certifying the 2020 presidential election should consider ending or at least making different donations to support black communities this month, like many did for a short-lived period after January 6th insurrection. So I don't know. How are you feeling Ladies about Black History Month. And and Kenny, you can jump in here, too, if like there's, you know, like some feelings you like in school didn't get any black. Like I had a conversation with someone last night that didn't know what um, Black Wall Street was and was trying to talk about how disadvantaged they felt as a white man, but didn't know anything about Black Wall Street. I will, I will let so. Christine and Vaughn speak first because I think it's I think it's important. Yeah, go Christina. I'll go with you first. Um, yeah, I Black History Month celebrations are important. I I think in the past I was, you know, I went to a school where my brother and I, we were some of the only little black children in the entire school, and we never had a Black History Month celebration. And it just it just wasn't a thing. When I got to high school, we some of the black students we demanded a celebration. But again, it was, yeah, it was about Martin Luther King. Rosa Parks, the usual suspects. And I think we had to put it together, which looking back is, that's probably not right <laughs> to have black children doing labor for free labor for Black History Month. Um, but now, and then certainly in college, when I got to the University of Illinois, 
I was president of the Black student body. We had a very rigorous Black History Month program. And I think the student unions were named after. I did a speech. Yeah. 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 We have a pretty, there's a very strong program, very strong programming there. But yeah, I think it's more so our children, Black children, I think it's great to educate them during Black History Month, but I feel like the people that need to be educated probably aren't Black, right? And the sad part is, is the, some of those, there's some commercials that come out that they really frustrate me where they're just like, you know, Jane Parker, she's the first Black woman to leave the post office in Utah since 2000. 19 Jane Parker making black history today. That's very sad to me. It's not a good thing. And I'm so happy. It's hard to be. I actually know a black postmaster general. It's a very hard job to get. But the fact that you're talking about the first black this, our first, these first black things are, it's so hard. On one hand, you want to celebrate them, but saying I'm making black history today, it probably means that because you've been leaving us behind white people. Right. Isn't that what black history is? Just an account of all the things that black people have been left out of and finally are getting recognition for. And an acknowledgement. Yeah. Cause there's, if you don't know about your history, you're, you're doomed to repeat it, which we're seeing right now in real time, just like Kenny was talking about, if you don't know about Asian culture and, and we're doomed to repeat this too, we're, you know, so it's like really important that you understand where things are coming from, how people, why humans act or did act the Holocaust. We, we don't want to repeat that again. You know, just last week we just had Remembrance Day. You know, it's very important history. And I had this conversation last night about critical race theory, which this person was putting to me. And I said, I don't think that's happening across the board in these schools. This is a fear mongering ploy or, you know, something that Republicans are doing to f- make you afraid and make you think that your children, your white children are not going to get something or they're going to feel guilt or they're they're running home. saying, I, I don't hear these stories about except for every now and then I hear from someone. My white child doesn't need to feel guilty. I see white kids being just as upset that they're not getting their black history or their Asian American history as as they should, because that's American history. Now, we could argue the age of what, when you want to introduce these th- ideas, but go ahead, Vaughn. Sorry. Well, yeah, that's what I, I wanted good, to. look great, by the way. I, am I still on a close-up this yeah, whole time? Yeah. I've been on a close-up the whole Since time. One of the things. That is so <laughs> weird. The lip gloss is doing. I need to find out what type Marina, of Marina, you saw the screenshot. I'm, from my viewpoint, I'm in a full medium it's shot okay, like we, to the waist that is so weird and uncomfortable that y'all just looking at my mouth <laughs> let me this put is, some can more I show lips? you this is what it is this is what it is Von. listen everybody oh these God. are black topics <laughs> <laughs> you all can't see this but we can see each Von, other just, Von, just scoop, you got scoop great back. lips Marina, stop telling me to scoot back. I sent you the screenshot. You know what I look like on my end. I'm in. A, I'm so far back. I'm on my wall. <laughs> no, no. When you go back there, that's perfect. Did you go see back the screenshot? The <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, this is so weird. Well, go I'm ahead. So what were you gonna away. say? No, it, it was about um, 
Black History Month and just trying to have some acknowledgement during a month. And then the I think that's great that they're having the mandates on the Asian history. But it just like the Asian hate crime, that's great that they got that. But black people are still fighting for the same thing over and over and over and over. Where's the mandates for <laughs> you know, African-American history, black history, America, like Marina just said, it is American history and it's 2022. And we're still asking for the same basic 102, get off of 101 black history. Cause we get it. Harriet Tubman, Martin Luther King. I didn't realize the impact of Malcolm X until it, as far as school goes, and until I was in college and, and I had to take a specific African-American studies course, I didn't get none of that in high school. And they're not like Marina was just saying, oh, we don't um, critical race theory. We don't want our white children feeling uncomfortable. Um, I think if you're going to start mandating things, mandate it across the board. It's, it's not just February. All year, all school year, all school year. Let's go. How close am I when I say that? <laughs> Very close. Yeah, I think I agree all school year because, I mean, they slavery was all year round. I mean, come on. I think part of the issue is people don't want to sit in that uncomfortableness. You know, they critical race theory. Um, the we I, I do remember being taught about the Holocaust and reading about Anne Frank and reading the diary of Anne Frank. I don't recall learning that um, Japanese Americans were put into internment camps after Pearl Harbor. I just know that Pearl Harbor was devastating for American and Americans and remember the lives lost at Pearl Harbor, but how Japanese Americans were treated after that for two solid years. This is, we, you ought to be scared whether you're of Asian American heritage or not. Like they're rounding people up and putting them in camps because we scared you all are inside agents. Like this is an issue and it's not, archaic history this is this was the 40s i mean i i think that's the issue is like we want to just pick and choose and they you know white school districts white government wants to pick and choose what they want to share with children because it makes them feel bad you know to talk about farmers that grew up in the black community uh sharecroppers and before they were sharecroppers they were slaves. Well, no, you enslaved these people and sharecropping was a scam as well that you kept going. So I, I'm really concerned that we're not telling our children the truth because of white fragility, because people are like, I don't want to feel bad about that. And it's I'm tired of it. It's, I'm tired of it, yeah. too. And it's so simple, right? 2022, the basic concept of humanity should not be in question. We're all human beings. You can't mate a horse and a dog. You can't mate a whale and a dolphin. You can't mate a human being and a sheep, even though some people have tried. You, we are all, you could mate an Asian and, and a black and you could mate a white and a black. It's so basic human that it's just, it's mind boggling to me that we're still arguing over or not arguing over or just trying to prove the point like Kenny was saying earlier and like how, how black people have been saying forever we're human 
We're not aliens from some other country, uh, some other planet, rather. We're actually human beings. When they murdered George Floyd on television, it's like, see a human being. And then they even tried to marginalize that. It's, it's it, like you said, Christina, I'm, just, I'm tired. At this point, people who who don't want to see the humanity in other people, they just don't want to. And that's why the representation really matters. That's what we're trying to do by telling these stories the real way, you know, not in a sensitive way, but in a in a real full way. You got to you got to show all sides of it. Black women in law feel pride and frustration ahead of court nominee because, you know, Joe Biden is going to appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court, which, you know, as President Biden prepares to nominate the first black woman to the nation's highest court, members of the small elite group of black women lawyers and judges are reflecting about their place in their profession and watching with complicated emotions. By the way, this is the last article and then we'll get out. They represent about just 2%, by the way, of the nation's 1.3 million lawyers. Many say they have experienced discrimination, been second-guessed, and or have felt dismissed by others in the legal world. But now, someone who looks like them and is part of this 2% and likely experienced similar career challenges could ascend to the Supreme Court and rule on issues foundational to American lives, from voting and abortion rights to health care and affirmative action, serving both as true representation of America on the bench, as well as in- inspiration for black girls and women, along with the excitement of the overdue appointment of black women as Supreme Court justice. There is a frustration and a fear that many will view it as an affirmative action appointment, which is so offensive to me that, you know, I, I kept saying to someone yesterday, I was like, the, the appointment is going to be highly qualified. Any when anyone black gets to a position, they are overqualified anyway. So for them to, you know, to say it's an affirmative action hire is so offensive because you're saying they're unqualified, which is untrue. Um, How does this speak to you, Christina? Like when you saw this, did were you like? I can I just say I didn't even think about it as like affirmative action. The discussion we're having over here. I hope I'm not punching above my weight, but. I didn't think of it that way at all. I thought, ooh, is it going to be like a Lady Clarence Thomas? Because I just don't believe it could really happen. It's not going to be, you know, like the black judge from All Rise, right? It's not going to be a sister like that, is it? I don't know. (laughs) But I I think that's my first concern is, is there, are are they going to be conservative, Republican leaning, Republican approved I also know the years it takes for people to get into the system. So each person, I think the front runner, I believe she came into her into the U.S. Court of Appeals during the Trump administration. So I think that's the first thing we need to be looking at is why are people okay with this? You know, the other part is, is because just whether they say all skin folk and kin folk. So you can appoint a appoint a black woman. But I, I guess I don't truly, I don't know if they will still have my best interest at heart just because we use the same comb. You took the words right out of my mouth, Christina. I, I I'm not really worried better. about affirmative action. I couldn't have said it better. Yeah, because yeah. Lindsey Graham is speaking, saying uh, uh, that he loves Michelle Childs, says he's, she's incredibly qualified. There's no affirmative action component here. If you pick her, she's highly qualified. We've only had five women serve and two African-American men. So let's make the court more like America. So 
yeah, I got to look at Michelle Childs and why he's so excited. I, I don't I don't know a lot if about. He's excited, mm-hmm. then I'm nervous. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because yeah. you know this comedian I love, Brandon Johnson. He says there is no such thing as black excellence. It means that they have when you see a black person ascend to a certain position it is because so many of your black brothers and sisters have been left behind. And so I want to know why she is being touted as a, she is the front runner. Um, And I want to know more about her politics. I am completely suspicious. The affirmative action comments. I mean, that might rile me up in the beauty shop or the barbershop, but when it really comes down to it, I, I, I completely question why this person is a front runner. And I believe it is because she will, when it is time for these big cases to come down, she will be conservative. And that is dangerous to every person, not just black women. Mm, Good point. I never really thought about that. That's such a great point. I think also people feel like, uh, because I was having a conversation with someone about how, you know, black women should just be satisfied. And, and you spoke to that right there. It's like, no, we got to hold everyone accountable, no matter what color they are. So, yeah. So this has been a great conversation, you all. I don't want to keep you too much. I got to go to the bathroom. Am I still uh, on, on a close-up? <laughs> I moved the phone like now three I see times. You. Now you look great. Yeah, yeah, you look I don't know. Great. Now you're perfect. It's perfect. Now. Hi, y'all. Say, Sorry y'all been looking at my mouth the whole time. <laughs> It's a great mouth, Vaughn. No, your mouth makeup was so tight. We're all going to be sued after this by Vaughn. <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too, me too. I'm coming for all y'all checks. Yes. To hold me over till my next booking. <laughs> <laughs> See it, girl, that you ain't never worked at Netflix. Mm. Um, seriously, though, Marina, I've never felt so vulnerable. Thank you. That's great. Well, no, you know what it is, is like I do come from that theater background and creating a safe space. I believe in that. You know, that's where me being a comedian is kind of tough sometimes because comedians, I don't know, they create like a hostile space, not a safe space. But, you know, for me, always when I'm in like rooms and I'm or I'm on a panel, I, I often feel like they miss that part about, you know, when you have conversations with people about very sensitive, we're in a sensitive time, you're talking about sensitive things, you got to create a space where people feel comfortable to talk because that's what's going to move things forward. Like we're talking about critical race theory. People aren't really listening to what that is. They don't even know what critical, they don't know what it is. They don't even know like how many children are really affected. They're just saying it. They're just scaring people. Oh, look at this. Your white kids are going to be terrified. And they don't really know what's going on. This is the Republicans like playing card, you know? So like when you have nuanced conversations about like disparities in healthcare and just, you know, when they say black people get COVID, it's like, wait a minute, that can't be a headline. You got to talk about what is going on. So these conversations to me are just really important and you both, I mean, seriously, have made my day. I, I do it every Monday. I hope you come back because you're so awesome. And I know you're going to be doing great things. And I know my listeners are thanking me right now for having you on because you're doing, you're both, and Vaughn, Vaughn, you two, are doing incredible. <laughs> you know what? Don't give me your half ass. 
late to the party. Oh, Thank you. Here. I am never I coming back. Hey, tell your <laughs> listeners now. This is the finale scene for Von D. Carla. Her dramatic exit is right now. <laughs> Don't you do it. You gotta say where the fall is. I have a bone to pick. I want my I want my preacher's introduction like Kenny got. <laughs> so I oh, what did I do? <laughs> what the preacher introduction? Yeah, we like Christina Anthony has moved thousands of audiences. <laughs> Laughter <laughs> and love. It's Black History Month. You gotta go with it. <laughs> Hailing from East St. Louis, Illinois. <laughs> she cites love and laughter is the key. Christina gonna do it, it herself? I'm gonna do it myself. Yes, yes. <laughs> Born. Christina, let's see here. Christina, and I'm looking at nothing. No, no. But no, Christina, you are, your bio, well, I do an intro with the bio anyway, so I try not to repeat myself, but your bio is so long. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, Who knows? It's like, it's like, no, you have so many, it's like Keenan. It's like uh, mixed-ish, blackish. Uh, the current move, second hit on Netflix, like your Instagram, when you say, who knew I was going to come from being like in a tech company to the number two show on it's just it's amazing having you both here it really is it's like you both I, I i really appreciate you taking the time this has been great like i said i've i've never felt so vulnerable same in my life now you know we don't take you for granted Bob. we love you so uh tell our listeners where now i'm the mentor <laughs> now i gotta do everything <laughs> okay so tell our listeners where they can find you and uh, friends like us no problem. Thank you for having me, Marina Franklin. Um, this is Vondi Carlo. You can find me at VondiCarlo.com. If that's hard for you to spell, I bought another domain don- name, <laughs> funnyvon, V-O-N.com. Uh, follow me on social media at Vondi Carlo. You can get links to everything. That is me at funnyvon, funnyvon.com. Uh, listen to my comedy album, A Draggable Offense. You can find links to it there. And with friends like us, who needs Marina Franklin teaching you Meisner technique. <laughs> That's pretty good. Oh, I love it. Hard to it. follow so that. that. Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> Christina, you get to go Speaking first. of Kenny, Christina so Kenny, first. you're Kenny, you're next. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, I don't even remember half of the things. Um, uh, hi, um, I'm Kenny Liu. If you guys want to follow me, I'm on Instagram at the Kenny Liu. That's T H E K N N Y L E U. Um, and with friends like us, uh, you get to have a beautiful, nuanced conversation on uh, what was it Monday mornings, and we get to decide how we get to move forward together. Oh, thank you so much. That was deep. Hard act to follow as well. I'm Christina Anthony, and you can follow me on Instagram at Teeny Anthony, T E E N Y A N T H O N Y. I'm emotional about Twitter, so let's not bother with that. And Christina, I'm so emotional. Um, I also have a website, though, ChristinaAnthony.me. Yeah, if you want to just look at that instead and you don't know how to use Instagram. And yes, please watch. And also, can I say, please watch The Woman in the House on Netflix tonight, if you can, with a bottle of wine. 
You'll need the whole bottle in three hours. And I loved being on here today. I'll say uh, with friends like us, who needs acting coaches? We are here to inspire you. <laughs> you can do this yeah. young person. You can do this older person as well. You got this. Absolutely. You still got it. So Marina Franklin here. You guys know me. Go to my website, marinafranklin.com. And with friends like us, you can meet new friends and have old friends and be completely inspired. Check, Check us out. out. Oh, my God. You guys, thank you. Thank you.